0: Let us pray. Father, we have been talking about abiding in you. We've been talking about having your heart in our hearts. And Father, today we are going to be talking about work. And for some, that word is a tough word. But Father, we ask that you would... Speak to us this morning about your heart for us when it comes to our workplace, when it
1: comes to the things that we do, that you've called us to do. Help us to view it in a new way.
0: So again, I'd just like to ask you to just pray a short prayer to yourself.
1: Ask the Lord to speak to you this morning.
0: And I really do need your prayers. Please pray for me that God would use me
1: to speak to you this morning. Amen. Amen.
0: <clears throat> so we're continuing our series called Trader, not Traitor. Trader, and um, today we're going to be talking about work. So there are 168 hours in a week. I think, right? 24 times 7? Yeah. 168 hours in a week. doesn't sound like a lot, but that's how much time we have in a week. 168 hours. And for, generally speaking, for those of us who work a 40-hour work week, you're spending about tw- almost 25%. Is that, is that right? My math is so bad, but, you know, close to 25% of our time is spent at work. Okay, now that's a 40-hour work week. Some people work way more than that. 60, sometimes upwards to 80 hours a week. And so almost 50% of your time can be spent at work. Then, of course, there are those who work around the clock. You're always working, right? And I'm talking about stay-at-home parents, homemakers. Are you ever not working, right? A lot of our time is spent working. Work takes up a lot of our waking hours. Well, what about sleeping? Right? If you are one of those who are able to get eight hours of sleep a night, you're, you're sleeping about 30 to 35% of your life is spent sleeping. Right? And so if you factor those numbers in, you know, our, our time sleeping, our time working, you're left with somewhere around 30, 30 to 45% of our time 30 to 45%, depending on how much you work, depending on how much you sleep, right? You're spending around 30 to 45% of your time, everything else. And of course, that's not you just sitting around doing nothing, right? Of course, there's work to be done even in that time. There's so much work to be done around the house. There's stuff to do with our kids and there's, there's work to do. And so if you factor
1: all that in, it's more like 20% time left. Family, friends, and in that that's small chunk of time where carve out some time, God. For some people that's that small amount of time left, carve out a little bit God. And my guess is that for some people, not everyone, but for some, the time that they allot to God, Sundays at church. One and a half hours that spent at church. That's the time that some people come a lot for God. And if that's the case, less than two percent of your time is spent worshiping the one who created you.
0: Now, hearing this, some would say, "Well, you know, James, you got to understand. I just don't have time. I'm so busy. Life is really busy. My work is really busy." It's very busy. And I'm not arguing that point at all. I'm not arguing that point at all. Work can get busy. I I, I get it. Right? There are those of us here, during tax time, you're at work all the time. You're working all the time. Right? From February till May, it's just crazy. Right? For some, it's summertime when the weather is nice and the sun's out. Construction season. If the light, if, if, if there's light out, you're working. Right? All day. Summer's a busy time. For others, school season, very, very busy time. Very busy. Right? And so I get it. Life can be very busy. So I, I just want to say that I'm not here to you know, negate the busyness of our lives, especially regarding work. But what I want to do this morning is propose that we take a radically different view of our work. Okay? I want to paint a different picture for us. Of work, Because for some people, work is a distraction from worshiping God, right? Work can be a distraction from worshiping God, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, our work can be a means by which we worship God. And so this morning, I want to shape my talk this way. First, I want to talk about work. I want to, I want to shape a theology of work for us this morning. And second, I want to talk about worship. To give us a better understanding of what worship is. What is it? What does it mean to worship God? And then I'm going to marry those two ideas together. Okay? Where we, where work can become worship. In fact, it must be worship. And so let's first talk about work. Now I understand when I say the word work, it can evoke certain emotions in you, right? Right? Words have the ability to do that, don't they? Right? When I say a word, a particular word, like butter tarts. Mmm. Oh, right? Oh, you know, somebody told me about, uh, someone from our church actually told me about a bakery out in Hawksville. Okay? I went yesterday. Oh, my. They have amazing donuts, <laughs> cream-filled stuff, butter tarts. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Anyway, it's... Right? But when I say certain words, they evoke certain emotions. They become like happy thoughts. Mmm, butter tart. Mmm, right? It evokes certain emotions. How about when I say the word homework? Oh, man. What? Dishes. Oh, man. Right? It evokes certain emotions. And so when I say work, for some of us, maybe not all of us, but for some of us, this word may evoke tough feelings. Overwhelming feelings, sometimes feelings of worry, sometimes agitation, frustration, nervousness, maybe even anger when I say the word work, right? And so when we think about work and we try to form a theology of work, what does the Bible say about work? We can have a tendency because all those feelings get put into that and and we say, we, we look at Genesis, for example, and say, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. It's because of you that we have to work, right? It's like, man, did you have to eat the fruit? Did you have to do that? Right? That's what we do. We have a tendency. We view work as a curse. And when we think of work, we think of work, we think of it as the result of the fall. Work is is the result of the fall, right? Genesis chapter 3, 17, this is what it says. And to Adam, God said, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so for many people, Genesis 3, 17 to 19, is their theology of work. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. We suffer because of you. Life was supposed to be paradise, just chilling with God all day, enjoying the trees, nature, the birds, the animals, the river. We were supposed to just chill. But Adam and Eve blew it, and now we suffer through work. Now, if this is your theology of work, I want to propose a better one. Okay? I want to propose to you a better one because, you see, work is not a post-fall phenomenon. Work was pre-fall. It was pre-fall. Adam worked in the garden. Genesis two fifteen. This is what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay. And so the truth is we weren't cursed with work. Rather, we were created to work. We were created to do it. I love what Erwin McManus said. Erwin McManus, he's pastor of Mosaic Church in California. This is what he said about work. Work isn't the result of the fall. Work being experienced without meaning and fulfillment was the result of the fall. And okay, let me repeat that. Work isn't the result of the fall. Work being experienced without meaning and fulfillment was the result of the fall. And so, looking at that, we come to ask... What was the difference between Genesis two and Genesis three? What made the difference? Cause in Genesis two, prior to the fall, Adam worked Genesis three after Adam worked. What was the difference? The difference was the connection with God in Genesis two. There was a connection with God. We were talking about John 15, a couple weeks ago, abiding in the vine. We need to be connected to Jesus. Apart from him, we can't do anything. That's what the Bible says in Genesis 15. It's about abiding, remaining, connecting with God. In Genesis 2, there was that connection with God. There was intimacy with God. There was fellowship with God. But in Genesis 3, that connection was severed. That made the difference. Work, when we are connected with God, when we are abiding in God, can, have, can be deeply fulfilling and satisfying. But a lot of people find it difficult to discover meaning and fulfillment in work. They do. They find it difficult to find meaning and fulfillment in work. That's because meaning and fulfillment come from God. Meaning and fulfillment comes from God. And my fulfillment in God is what I bring to work. Right? Making work meaningful that way. Meaning doesn't come from work. I bring
1: meaning to work. That's a radically different theology of work. Because if meaning and fulfillment came from work, and suddenly
0: you don't have that job anymore for whatever reason, what happens then? A lot of people, they lose, they lose it when that happens. True meaning and fulfillment in life comes from God and we bring that to work. That's the theology of work. Now let's talk about worship. What is worship? What does it mean to worship God? Now the immediate thought that comes to us might be singing, right? Worship is singing, and yes, that's true. Worship definitely involves singing. But it is far more than that. Far greater than that. Now, I don't want to take away from our worship experience here at Trinity. It's very powerful. When we come together on a Sunday morning and we corporately worship God through singing, it's powerful. But the question is this. Why do we sing? Why is it that we sing? Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and Say, say, get, get ready for this. It's important. Okay? Why do we sing? Why do we sing? We sing. Surely, singing isn't about filling thirty minutes in a service. Okay, that's not what. That's not the reason why we're singing. Okay, to kill time in a service. No, absolutely not. Right? We sing because singing is the overflow from our souls, discovering total satisfaction in God. Okay, singing is the overflow from our soul finding total satisfaction in God. It flows out when we discover God is our greatest treasure. We can't help but sing. That's what happens. Here's an example. Suppose there's two lovers, okay? A man and a woman, they're in love. and The man looks at the woman and suddenly experiences a welling up of emotions inside and thoughts are coming into awareness of just how amazing and beautiful this person is. Right? There's definitely this experience of love happening. Then out of that experience, the man does some things to express what he is experiencing. He may go out of his way to do things for her. Right? He may buy her flowers. He may uh, do some chores that, so that she doesn't have to do that. He may tell her. I love you. He may even write a song and sing it to her, right? Why? Because he's experiencing this love inside and the deeds, the words, the songs are an extension of that experience of love. In fact, it completes the experience of love. When you have that stuff bubbling up inside when you speak it out, I love you. When you do something to express it, you are completing the experience of love. Amen? You are completing it. Without those words, without the actions, the experience of love is incomplete. All of those things that are done are to communicate to her and to the world that I am fully Satisfied in all that she is in who that who in who she, she is that's what you're communicating in essence that is worship that's what it means to worship worship is an extension of our hearts being totally satisfied in God. That's what it means to worship. And the overflow manifests through song and deed unto the one who rescued us through Jesus Christ. Worship communicates to God and to the world who has captured our hearts. That's what worship is. It communicates who we live for. Paul describes it beautifully in Philippians chapter 1, 20 to 21. This is one of my life verses This is is like a life verse to me. I pray this verse. This is what it says. Verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying... This is what he writes. In verse one. he says, I want Christ to be honored in my body. And the word honored in Greek is the word megaluno, which it's translated also to make great. That's what that word means, to make great. And so what Paul is saying is, I want God to be made great through me. And then he goes on in verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ. What does that mean? To live is Christ. He means in his life, in all that he does, he wants Christ to be seen as great. In everything I do, Lord, I want you to be seen as great through my life. That is the essence of what it means to worship God. Lord, I want you to look great through my life. That's worship. When I sing, I communicate through my singing that Christ is great. When I live out my life in all that I do, I live it in such a way as to communicate. Christ is great. That's worship. That's what it means to worship. And this is where we marry the two together the number of hours we spend at work can all be used to worship God rather than spending less than 2% of our time in worship with God. We can spend every waking hour worshiping God because we worship God through work. When we do all the things we do in order to magnify Jesus Christ in everything we do, that is what it means to work as worship. This means we need to magnify Jesus in our workplace relationships, the people around the office, the school, the job site, the store, the facility, the place of work. We magnify Christ in the peep through the people we relate with on a day to day basis. And they will see that there's something different about you when you live to make Christ look great. There's something different about you. There's something different about the way you work. Because it's not just to bank in hours to receive a paycheck, right? There's a, this un, indescribable beauty about what you bring to work that people are like, what is, what, what is it with this person, right? You bring this beauty to your work, the way you respect your job, the way you respect others at your place of work. There's something different. Of course there's something different. You work as worship. You're working to make Christ be seen as great. Of course, there's something different. And it's not that you do all these things so that people will see you doing it and give you a couple of pats on the back. No, you do it because you want to make Jesus look great. That's the prayer of my heart as a pastor. God, every time I preach, every time I do anything, As I pastor, as I minister, Lord, I want you to be seen as great. Not me, you. I want Jesus Christ to be seen as great. I want to point people to you. That is the prayer that we need to pray in our workplace. Now, it isn't only in our workplace relationships that we magnify Jesus. It's in the very work that we do. That means the work that we do must be done with a certain level of excellence. Now, some of us might think, well, I can't, I, I can't perform with excellence all the time, James. What do you, what do you mean? I, I can't do that. I'm weak. I'm not strong enough. I just can't do it. I have good news for you. I have good news. I know someone who does have the strength. I know someone who is strong. I know someone. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with Each and every one of us to counsel us, to guide us, to teach us, to correct us, to fill us. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we suddenly have strength. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we suddenly have ideas. Creativity begins to flow. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, suddenly we have skills that maybe we didn't know we had. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can impart skills? He can. Absolutely, he can. This is what it says in Exodus 31. Holy Spirit did this. Exodus 31, verse 1 to 3. It's a story of Bezalel. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Isn't that interesting? This is in the Old Testament. Okay. Filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. The Holy Spirit imparts wisdom. The Holy Spirit imparts understanding, imparts knowledge, and imparts skills. Holy Spirit does that. When you bring God with you in the workplace, and your heart's desire is to magnify God in what you do, God is with you in what you do. And the beauty of it all is, all you need to do is ask. Those times when you're facing deadlines, when you're facing a situation, maybe you need to go and speak to someone. Maybe you need to confront someone. Maybe there's just a tough situation at work. And you're like, man, I need, I need, I need God. I need the Holy Spirit. Ask. That's what Luke chapter 13 says. That God
1: gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask. And he will fill you. And in all that you do, make Christ look great.
0: You don't have to be someone who worships God 2% of your time. You can worship God in absolutely everything you do, every time, all the time. Make Christ look great in all you do. Magnify him. And you will be someone who worships 100% of the
1: time even when you're sleeping somehow. May Christ be magnified in you
0: as you discover total satisfaction in him. May your life be the expression of heaven's beauty, heaven's creativity, and heaven's strategies. And may those around you see the glory of God through you in all that you do, all that you say, and all that you are. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for each and every one of us here. We are on different paths, different walks of life, different places. Some of us are in school. Some of us are working full-time, part-time, super full-time. Wherever we are, Lord, I pray that you would impart Wisdom, that you would impart understanding, that you would impart knowledge, you would impart strength, and that you would impart the skills needed to make you look great in our lives so that people will see you, Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in us, in all that we do. Anoint us with your Holy Spirit now. I pray for an impartation upon each and every one of us this morning. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. May you be honored in our bodies all the days of our lives. And it is in Jesus' name, the name that is above all names, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift his
1: countenance upon you and give you great peace. Amen. Have a great week.